Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. But I'm going to continue on what we started Wednesday night. We started talking Wednesday night about, we began by talking about discerning the times that you live in. And uh, if you remember, I'm going to do maybe just a little brief summary, but I want to get to the meat of what I want to talk about today. But uh, we talked about understanding the times you're in. And based on what I've learned and read and uh, all everything that needed to be fulfilled before Christ returns for his church has been fulfilled. So really, we are on, I want to call it the eve, we're on the eve of the point in time when Christ is going to come back for his church. And he is going to take us, those of us who are alive, will be just caught up in the air, okay, and those of us who have been dead in Christ, the Bible says they're going to rise first. But this is an awesome time to be living in. And so my question is, are you discerning the time that we're in? Are you discerning the time? Or are you just going about your business as usual with no expectation? Because the expectation should be that any time during any day, right, Christ could come back for his church. And so I know you're probably thinking, okay, if all everything's been fulfilled, what's holding up the process? Hmm? We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But God has promised that before he comes back, there is going to be a great, say great, there's going to be a great move of the Spirit of God and hundreds of thousands of people are going to be saved and they are going to be caught up in that great coming of Christ. So that is something to look forward to, right? Okay, so we talk about that end time move. I like to call it, some people call it the great revival. I prefer to call it the great end time move of the spirit because that's what it is. Totally orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. Not you, not your plan. It's the plan of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to have mass salvation during that time. There's also going to be a, a sustained outpouring of the spirit. You know, I, the reason why I say sustain, we've had many revivals in this country. Am I correct? We've had many. And they lasted for a season. And then they stopped. And they went again. And generally, when we had a great revival like that, it was because something catastrophic had happened in this nation. It's amazing something about the nature of us as a people that we don't get serious about God until something catastrophic happens. So, you know, when they had Azusa, you know what happened before that? There was a great earthquake 
in California that shook people. I mean, real, not just shook the ground, shook people. And they flocked to the churches. Chicago fire, same way, big fire. Guess what? Great revival afterwards. Something about us as a people. We, we get real serious when we get scared, okay? 9-11. Remember that, 9-11? I mean, churches were full to overflowing. It wasn't sustained, but they were full to overflowing. People were scared. And so you got to realize the devil is not stupid. Okay, he knows his time is limited. And he knows that great moving of the Holy Spirit is coming. He knows that. And so this next time, the big catastrophe was what? COVID. But the devil said, I'm going to throw a little trick in there. Okay. I'm going to put COVID on them. And so much so that they're going to have to close those churches. So they can't run to the church. And he really thought he had one. He really did. And some churches are still recovering. And some people have just dropped into a, I call it a lackadaisical state. Uh, hey, it's good to watch it on TV. And I, I, I don't have anything against you if you can't get out, because sometimes you just can't get out. But some of us put it on the TV, watch the, uh, the um, broadcast, uh, run in the kitchen, do some dinner in between. So, you know, you can do lots of things while, while this is going on, okay? Are you really focused on what's happening in the service? No way. No way. But also, on this great move of the Spirit, we're going to see some signs and wonders. There's going to be great dedication and repentance taking place during this time. And the power, the anointing power of the Holy Ghost present in every service. That's why I say sustain. That's why I call sustain. It'll be in every service. In every service. And I'm going to tell you, if you are not hooked into God, you're, not, you're going to have a little trouble, a little trouble dealing with that. Because your flesh does not want to do God. Okay? Did you hear what I just said? Your flesh does not want to do God. You need to keep that in mind. So the only way you are going to ever get your flesh under control, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Okay? <laughs> But this is what you have to understand. When, when uh, John, uh, in Revelations, he talked about he saw people from every nation, right? Every people, every nation, every language. He saw them around the throne. So that means that God has got to move supernaturally to get everybody from all the nations of the world, not just America, Okay? And I thought about this. Uh, we're at a very interesting time in our history in that this little device here uh, that some of us kind of spend too much time on, but this little device here has an amazing capacity. And you know what the amazing capacity is? Someone can preach a sermon 
in Kansas City, Missouri, and in less than maybe 10 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, somebody in Bangkok can see it. That's the most awesome thing about this little small device. It has the ability to cover everyone. Isn't that fascinating? This little device that sometimes we struggle with, and we do because we, we don't always control ourselves with that device, me included. Okay, but you have to realize when I talk about a mass salvation, you need to understand that the Holy Ghost is not going to just start dealing with non-believers and they're going to drop to their knees in the street, okay? This is not going to happen. They're not going to drop to their knees in the street because the Holy Ghost is dealing with them and come into the kingdom of God. That's not the way it's going to work. The only way it is going to work, he needs some hands, some feet, and some mouths to spread the gospel, to touch souls. And he needs people who have a burning desire in their heart to see people come into the kingdom. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I started doing some studying after COVID, and I spent some time um, studying Wigglesworth and Catherine Kuhlman and Amy McPherson. And um, I, a little bit selfish in my studies, I'm not going to lie, because I just wanted to understand what it was about these people that great signs and wonders followed them everywhere they went. It was amazing. I mean, I've never been to a Catherine Kuhlman meeting. Uh, my late husband had been to one, uh, more than one. And he would tell me, he said, when she put her foot on the platform, people would just start falling out under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And they didn't have catchers, guys. <laughs> okay. People would just start falling. That's how much the anointing was on this person, okay? But God needs people who are willing to get out of themselves. I'm not important. The person on the street who doesn't know about Jesus. Not only doesn't know about Jesus, he, knows, he doesn't know that his lack of not following Jesus will cost him eternity away from the face of God. That he doesn't know. He doesn't understand that this is for eternity. You get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ and God and the Holy Spirit. You get to spend eternity. I, I don't know about you, but in my head, I'm having, I don't know really 100% what eternity is. It's just that it goes on forever. Okay? That's a wonderful thought. And I can't imagine not going to heaven because the only other place you can go if you don't go to heaven is where? The bottomless pit. Okay? 
And that was designed for the fallen angels. It was not designed for human beings. So if you have a love for people, you want to make sure that no one has to face that bottomless pit unless they just blatantly decided not to follow Jesus. If that's the desire of your heart. And so are you ready part two is where I'm going back to. Uh, so God needs a people who are going to do what he wants to do. And what he wants to do is to save people. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to be saved. That's God's desire. And if you are doing what God wants you to do, guess what? That should also be our desire. That no one should get lost. And I, I, I mentioned this Wednesday night, and I'm going to mention it again. Uh, you know, on Pastor's birthday, uh, we had a charge given to us a year ago, a year before that, and we had uh, Evangelist Clinkscale came, and he asked the question, right? And his question was, how many of you have done what I asked you to do, which is to bring five people, show me the five people that you have brought to church, and they're still here. Well, I don't believe there was a one hand that went up. Not a one that went up. So that tells me there's work to be done in the church. That's what it tells me. And so you need to understand that God always starts with his people. When he wants to do something, he's going to start with us. He's got some things he wants us to do. Am I correct? And so some of the things he wants us to do, let's go to uh, Second Chronicles. Uh, and we, we talked about well, yeah, let's, let's, go to, let's go to 2 Chronicles, let's go to uh, 2 Chronicles 29 first, because I want to talk about this uh, king, um, uh, and then we'll talk about another person who understood that um, if you want a great move of God, you got to start in the church. That's what Hezekiah knew. Now, Hezekiah, he was, uh, verse 29, verse number 1, it says, Hezekiah became, began to reign when he was 25 years old. That's young. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. That's always been a cry of my heart, you know, when, when God writes some more scriptures up there in heaven about me, that he can at least say that uh, my children did right in the sight of the Lord uh, because uh, as parents, we taught them. We taught them correctly. That's a desire of my heart. And so, but Hezekiah had a wicked father. Ahaz was a wicked man. He closed up the church. And not only did he close up the church, he started taking some of the sacred things out of the church and used them however he decided. Just a wicked man. But Hezekiah followed, his, uh, followed not in his father's footsteps, but it says he followed after all what? David, his 
and David was way back in his lineage, but he followed after David. He was a good king. And so he said he, in the first year of his reign, first year of his reign, in the, fir in the first months he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, which his father had closed and repaired them. He brought together the priests and the Levites in the square of the east and said to them, Levites, hear me. Now sanctify, purify, and make free from sin yourselves and the house of the Lord of your fathers and carry out the filth from the holy place. So when you want God to move, you got to get rid of some stuff. That's the first thing. You want to get rid of some stuff. And then if you go to... Second Chronicles uh, uh, seven fourteen. That's where you're going to go next. God gives us a formula on how to clean up that house. Okay, in fourteen, Second Chronicles seven verse fourteen, it says, "If my people." If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, he's giving you a formula, listen to what he's saying, shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So God's telling you how to do this. So as a church, guess what we need to do? Some, there's a few things we need to do, right? Okay, so the first thing we can do is what? He says to humble yourself. And then the next thing he says to pray, and then he says seek God's face and turn from your wicked ways. He gave us four things that we need to do. Now, uh, God didn't make that negotiable. There's nothing up there that's go. He said, humble yourself. Humble yourself, meaning you right to realize that there's nothing you can do in yourself. You can't do it yourself. God is, has to be the author, director of your life. If you really want to be successful. And then also... How do you measure success? Because success isn't necessarily measured in the size of the house you have. Okay. The man that is really successful is the person who can get on their face before God and have an audience. That's a real successful person. And so, um, so Hezekiah cleaned out the church. But you notice there was a great revival that took place after he started with the church. He cleaned out the church. They restored worship, and then he went out to the people, and they brought the Israelites in. And so one of the greatest revivals in the, in the history of the Bible happened with Hezekiah. So much so that when you know, God moves on your heart and changes you, the first thing you don't have problem parting with is your money. Okay? Because we're, we're kind of a selfish people. We don't always want to give up the money. But there was such a move of the spirit with Hezekiah. They had money piled up in heaps. H-E-A-P-S. Heaps. 
That means people will really change. I don't think we've seen heaps yet, have we? We've got, we had some good moves this year, but we haven't seen heaps. Okay. So we are definitely approaching a time when God's going to move supernaturally in the lives of people. But he needs us to do some things first. And so this is where I want to get to talk about the more meat of this in terms of what God wants to do. Well, first of all, God, when he says he's coming back for a church, in Ephesians 5.27, he talks about a church without what? Spot or wrinkle, right? Now, I personally do not believe that God is coming back for a defeated church. I don't believe that. I think he's coming back for a vibrant church. Holy Ghost filled church. Church where things are just really happening on a regular basis. A church that has a passionate desire to experience the presence of God. Not just once in a while, but every time they come together. The most important way to sustain the vibrant church like that, because we don't want it to start and then stop. That's not what we want. We want it to start and keep going. And so you can't do that unless you have a passion and a loyalty for the presence of the Holy Spirit. You have to have a passion for the presence of the Holy Spirit every time you meet. And when you meet, just like in the book of Acts, when they came together, there were a number of times when they were filled again with the Spirit of God. And they did some phenomenal things. Well, when we get to that point where we are constantly being filled with the Spirit, then we go out of here and we can change the world around us. Is it only going to be people from Harvest Church doing this? No, no. Because God is looking for a people. What did I say? He's looking for a people that he can show himself strong in. That's what he's looking for. And he can only find those people because they have been doing what? What we talked about. They've humbled themselves, they've prayed, they're seeking God's face continually, and they're asking God continually, if there's anything in me, anything in me that's not like you, Show me what it is, and I promise I'm going to move away from it. They're continually staying in that vein. And because they're staying in that vein, every time they come into the presence of God, there is a miraculous move of God. Every time. That's what we want on a regular basis. So we are so filled with the Spirit that we walk out these doors and we tell people about the God we serve. That's what we want. That's what God's after. Okay? And so, you know, I, I thought about this this morning. Uh, Y'all saw the movie Lion King, right? Okay. And you know when Simba decided he was going back to get his kingdom? And when they finally get back to the kingdom... He it was a warthog, and 
what that other little thing was. I don't know, but his name was Timon, okay? And they went back with him to the kingdom. And when they got back there, what did Timon say? He said, what did he say? <laughs> yeah, this looks like a fixer-upper, right? <laughs> he, he, they couldn't believe he came charging all the way back there for this, okay? And I, I, I don't want to make a similarity between the, the church in America and that statement, but I'm thinking right about now, Satan is saying, looking like a fixer-upper. <laughs> and he is not really concerned right now that too much is going to happen because he's looking at what, okay. But God is not a God that he can lie. What he says is true. And if he says he's coming back for a glorious church, guess what? He's coming back for a glorious church. All we need to do is line up with his program and do what he wants. But must make you aware of something. Before God moves visibly in power, so we all, we want, we all want to see signs and wonders, but before God moves visibly in power, he moves invisibly. That's on the inside, in holiness. Because he cannot trust his power to someone who is not totally submitted to him. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. So he needs a people that's submitted to him. So he's first going to do what? He's going to move on the inside, make some changes, and then he says, okay, the church is ready. We've cleaned up. Now you're ready for me to show what? My power. See, in some of those revivals before, it was a person, two people, or three people, and God moved through them supernaturally because he, he just needed to save some souls, okay? I don't believe God's operating that way now. I don't believe it's going to be a person. It's not going to be a church that leads this charge. It is the Holy Spirit himself that will lead this charge and so anyone who decides they want to line up and get behind the Holy Spirit then think matter of fact uh, I need about 12 people real quick just 12 people just count 12 just line up towards the front don't don't spread out too far because when you, when you when you get up here these 12 people go up here I want you to lock hands, lock, lock elbows. You're going to lock elbows. We got 12. I don't think we have 12 yet. Okay, got 12 now. Okay, we got 12. Thank you, sir. Okay, so you're locking elbows, okay? And this is this, is, this is army that the Holy Ghost is... Um, is um, putting together right now, okay? Getting ready for a great move of God. Um, uh, Miss Anderson, can I uh, bother you to come here for a minute? Miss Anderson is going to be the Holy Spirit. 
and, and, and you're going to get right in front of these people. But, but no, come, come here first. I, I got to tell you something. No, come here, come, come here, real quick. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is ready to move. And he just look, he's just looking for some people that will do what he's asked them to do. Okay? He's orchestrating this. It's not your plan. It is not anybody else's plan but the Holy Spirit, because he knows better than anybody else how to get the masses to come to Jesus. So when he says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, you're going to move, thank you. And then when he says, does that tell you something? Notice everybody stays in place. Right? Nobody is getting in front of the Holy Spirit. Am I correct? Nobody is putting their hand up and saying, uh, I know you said go right, but I think today is a good day to move forward. See, nobody, nobody's doing that. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's not asking you. The Holy Spirit is directing this. He is doing this. The Spirit of God, he's not asking for your opinion. He desires to save souls. He wants souls saved for the kingdom. And the people who are going to be available to help him do what he wants to do are those that are going to follow his direction. I know this is America, where you think you have an opinion about everything. I know you do, okay? But when you talk about the kingdom of God, you don't have an opinion. You don't have one. God has the opinion. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is here for what? This dispensation. So he is leading this charge. And guess what? All you need to do is follow. Thank you. Thank you. But one thing the Holy Spirit will not do is uh, relinquish holiness as a requirement. He's not going to relinquish that. Go to 1 Peter 13. Uh, and um, verse, I'm sorry, First Peter one, and um, verses thirteen to sixteen is what we want to look at. Okay, and starting in verse thirteen, it says. So brace up your minds, be sober, circum, circumspect, morally alert. Set your hope wholly and unchangeably 
on the grace, divine favor that is coming to you when Jesus Christ the Messiah is revealed. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. So that tells me if you're not reading the word, you, don't, you won't know the requirements of the gospel. So you've got to get in the word. But as one who was called, it, you is holy. You yourselves also be holy in all, in all your conduct and manner of living. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I know we live in a dispensation of grace, and some of us have kind of, I want to say, taken advantage of the grace of God, but some of us have. And so, you know, I, I've, all, I've, I've said this many years, and my daughter and I were having this conversation the other day. But I say, you know, sometimes we think it's okay as a believers to take a drink ever so often here and there. We think it's okay. Uh, oh, we slip and curse. God will forgive me, and I'll just try not to do it next time, okay? Or um, we, we can just be mean. And, and you know, I'll, I'll apologize next week, but I'm going to say this today, okay? That's, that's not what I just read out of this Bible, okay? And so... Like I said, my daughter and I were having this conversation, and I said to her, I said, you know, I used to tell people, if you could take a drink, and when you get finished drinking, somebody can look at you and say, I can tell he was a Christian by the way they held that, that, that glass up to their lips, then you are free to go ahead and do whatever. Same thing when it comes to, um, uh, hey, cursing somebody out, okay? Now, you know, some people it's easy. It's not easy for me because I never did it. Okay, just just never, never, and because I wasn't raised around it, I really wasn't. I, now, I'm not gonna lie. I grew up in New York, so I'm being cursed out by the best. Okay, <laughs> especially don't get out of a taxi cab and don't give them a tip. Okay, you will hear words you probably can't spell. Okay, so I'm not saying I haven't heard curse words. But it was just never my forte to use them, okay? And so um, if you can curse somebody out, and when you get finished, the person can say, I can tell by the way you curse me, you're a born-again believer, then just, you know, I mean, you're laughing, but think about that. If you mean to somebody, they're not going to say, I can tell by the way she said that to me. She really loves Jesus. That is not what they're going to say, okay? What they're going to say is, if you claim to be a born-again believer and you go to church every Sunday, I don't want it. That's what they're going to say. And God's telling us that holiness is not optional. Go to Leviticus uh, 11. Leviticus 11. And we're going to look at verse 44. 
It says, for I am the Lord your God. So consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am holy. Neither defile yourselves with any manner of thing that multiplies in large numbers or swarms. So God is telling you that you need to be holy. Uh, read, uh, let me look, 45. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Doesn't seem like to me that was an option. Sounds like God gave him them a commandment. You will be holy because I am holy. And I know, like I said, we live in this dispensation of grace, and we also live in a country where we think we have all kinds of freedoms. And we really don't understand 100% that we are, even though we live on this earth, we are really part of the kingdom of God. And when we are in the kingdom of God, we do what the king says. You don't make up your own rules. You have to do what the king says. And I know some of us think we're free to do whatever, and we make our own form of Christianity. That's what I'll call it. But that's not what God's called us to do. He wants us to be holy. And he needs a holy church. He needs a clean church. Because when he finds a place that is holy and clean, then he can operate 100% in the power and the might that he's expecting. Could you imagine that we get to the place where we're all in one accord on these principles? So much so that when somebody comes in the building, they don't even have to get to the sanctuary. It's the power of God on their lives. I was sharing this with someone the other night. I said, you know what? In my lifetime, and I've, I've been on this planet for a little bit, uh, I don't know that there have been five people, I know there haven't been ten, that have such a spirit of God on them that you they don't have to say a thing to you. You just get in their presence and you want to weep and get on your face. And they haven't said a word. Have you run into people like that? Hmm? Not too often. And I can say, I can count them on my, on my, on my right hand. My, my children had a, uh, when, they, when we lived in Oklahoma, Oklahoma Christian Academy, there was a teacher in the fifth grade. She taught fifth grade, Ms. McElroy. Love Ms. McElroy, but she had that kind of spirit on her. You just wanted to get, when, as soon as you got in her presence, you just wanted to, Oh, Lord Jesus, if there's anything I've done to offend you, Lord, I just need to repent, right? I mean, that's the kind of spirit she had on her. And I couldn't wait for my kids to get to Miss McElroy's. I mean, I'm serious. It was like, oh, I can't wait till they get to Miss McElroy's class. Because I knew they weren't going to come out the same way they went in. I knew that. Because she had that kind of a spirit on her. And so I believe my first two children, then we moved. I don't think Kyla got a chance to experience Miss McElroy. But uh, she was, like I said, I couldn't wait for my children to get there. And that's the kind of spirit we should have on us. So when a person comes to those doors, they know there's something different about this place. And it causes them to look into themselves and make the change. That's what we should have here, okay? So the second thing I want to mention is that 
the church has to become a place. Now, this morning, praise and worship was awesome. But the church has got to be a place where the Holy Spirit is honored and respected and allowed, and allowed the liberty to do whatever he wants. Not our agenda, not our plan, whatever he wants to do, we are open to allow him to move supernaturally. And how do we get to that point? Because the will is a very strong thing. Okay? Is it not? Okay, and I'll say this again. You live in America, we cultivate that will. We start when children are little. Uh, what is it that you want to do today? Okay? Was it, what is it that you want to be? We, nev we never say to our children, have you prayed to ask God what you're supposed to be? That's not something we say, right? This is how you, this is when you realize you have allowed the culture to come into the church and change the church. This is where you realize how much of the culture you've allowed in. Because we don't say that. Now, we do make sure our babies get dedicated. We do that. Okay. But after that point is not what God said about you when you got dedicated. It's what you want to be when you grow up. If it doesn't, we don't even bother to say, hey, that doesn't line up with what I saw for you for God. That's not, that doesn't line up. Mm-mm. Allowing the world to run the church. But Jesus was a great example. He was a good example about someone who did not allow his will to control him. Go to John 14. John chapter 14. And we're going to go to verses 15 and 16. I'm sorry, 15 to 17. And it says, um, I'm going to start in verse 15. Uh, if you really love me, you will keep, obey my commandments. If you really love me. And then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. So he's sending someone to you so to help you. God knew you couldn't do everything he asked you to do in this word. He knew that. He knew that in advance. He, hey, we got the whole Old Testament to show that, right? Okay, so he knew it. So what did he do? Christ asked the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you. And the Holy Spirit in you is there to help you, to guide you, to teach you, direct you. But the question is, are you submitted to the Holy Spirit? Okay. Well, Christ didn't have a problem with being submitted. Uh, let's go to John 
chapter 5. Verse 30, and this is Jesus talking, because if you have a red-letter Bible, it's in red. It says, I am able to do nothing on my own, nothing from myself, independently of my own accord. But as I am taught by God, and as I get his orders, whoo, this is why I love the Amplified Bible. Even as I hear, I judge, I decide as I am bidden to decide, as my voice comes to me, so I give a decision, and my judgment is right, just and right, because I do not seek or consult my own will. I have no desire to do what is pleasing to myself. This is Christ talking. I have no desire to do what's pleasing to myself. My own aim, my own purpose, but only the will and pleasure of the Father who sent me. That's a profound statement. I only want to do what the Father told me. Go to Matthew 6, Matthew 26. And we're going to look at verse 39. And this is one that you're familiar with. And it says, and going a little further, he threw himself upon the ground on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. So here's Jesus down to his last hours, and he knows the agony awaiting him. And he still says, Father, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will. And so this is what I call a real submitted, uh, that's a real submitted mindset. That means Jesus was not relying on any plan he had, any agenda he had, and his will was no longer an issue. All he wanted to do was do what God asked him to do. And so you're going to ask the next question. I hope the next question is, well, how in heaven's name do I do that? Because this will is a strong thing. And it is always surfacing. It, 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 just, it just, when I'm not even thinking about it, it just shows up. Uh, I, I, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, I think I prefer this. Uh, and sounds like a good idea, but we're not going to do it because that's not my plan, okay? The will always showing up, and as believers, if we could get that will under control, we would be in good business. And as a matter of fact, um, you know, um, In order for you to get that will under control, the only way it's ever going to get under control is by you dying to self. And I know that's a whole lot easier said than done. Okay? 
because there's always this little tiny voice in there that's saying, what about me? What about me? What about me? And God is saying, this end time move with the Spirit is not about you, okay? It's about the Holy Spirit and the people that I want to take to the kingdom of God. And if we could look at it from that perspective, then no, what we want is not important. It really isn't. Because we're talking about the choice between people spending eternity with the Father or just being lost for eternity. That is a long time. So getting yourself, um, uh, go to Romans 8. And I'm going to try to wrap this up here real quick here. Romans 8. And uh, look at verse 12. So it says, So then, brethren, we are debtors, but not to the flesh. We are not obligated to our carnal nature to live a life ruled by standards set up by the dictates of the flesh. For if you live according to the dictates of the flesh, you will surely die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have the Holy Spirit in you, you are habitually, ha, what's that word? Habitually. What does that mean? You're doing it on a regular basis. Because that will tries to surface, guess what? On a regular basis. So you have to habitually. Uh, put to death, making extinct, deadening the evil deeds prompted by the body, you shall really and generally live forever. Isn't that something? God is telling us that we have got to die habitually. Catherine Kuhlman made that statement. In her book, she said, I have to die every day. I can't do this if I don't die every day. And God wants us to have a, a, a church that is totally orchestrated and, and, and directed by the Holy Spirit. And we can only have that kind of church if we die to self. Because we all got opinions, right? Okay. But just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's the opinion that God wants. It just means you have an opinion. And I would think the Holy Spirit knows better than anybody else how to bring people into the kingdom. So, probably a good idea to ask them. <laughs> you think? <laughs> okay. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Catherine Kuhlman uh, made a statement. I'm going to read this real quick as soon as I... Oh, okay. She made a statement. She said, everything that goes on in these meetings, she's talking about the meetings that she was running. People would get online five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours before the service just to get in. Could you imagine? People hungry for the presence of God. And so she said, everything that goes on in these meetings, every miracle, Every healing would happen every week 
in every church in the land if the people would only pay the price and honor the Holy Spirit. If the people would only pay the price, and part of that price is dying to self, getting rid of will. I'm not going to lie and tell you it's easy. I'm not going to lie and tell you that. But it can be done. God wouldn't make it a requirement if it couldn't be done. And Jesus was a perfect example of someone who followed God's will and only God's will. So you have to become a yielded vessel. And a yielded vessel mean, just means that I, I, don't have any, I don't have any more um, agendas. I don't have any more plans. I just want to do whatever you tell me to do, God. Okay? Uh, that means you have to give up all of self. Ooh, my goodness. So you got plans, you know, in like two years, I want to do this, I want to do that. I got this on my agenda. And God might say, that's not what I want you to do. He might have another plan. Maybe he wants to send you off to another country to witness to people and tell them about Jesus. But your plan is to go, I don't know, lay on a beach in Jamaica. <laughs> okay? I don't know. All I'm saying is this. Are you willing to let go of your plan because God told you something different? Are you willing? Okay? And there are some people who over, over, over the years have paid a price to do just that. Uh, Willis, Smith Willowsworth, Catherine Kuhlman, okay? Even your own pastor. Excellent example of an ordinary person who have completely sold out to God. That's why it's not a labor for him to spend five, six, seven, eight hours reading the word. That's why it's not an issue for him to spend five, six, seven, eight hours on his face praying. It's not an issue because he has decided that there's nothing more important on this planet than doing the will of God. Go to Galatians 20. Galatians 20. And I think I'm, I know I've, I told you that once before, right? I'm almost ready to wrap it up. I did tell you that once before. Okay. I learned that from Pastor. <laughs> he said he had, he had three. So uh, we're going to Galatians and we're going to chapter two. And I will get there quickly. Uh, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse number 20. Galatians 2, 20. Okay, and what does that say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. In him have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ the Messiah lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in. Shall I say that again? I live it by what? 
adherence to. That means I follow the word. Reliance on. That's all I rely on. And complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what happens when you finally get to the point where it's none of you and all of Christ. And then once you do that, you got to stay committed to that surrender. I've surrendered. you got to stay committed to it. You can't do it for a week and then decide it's too much. Go to Isaiah 66. And we're looking at verses 1 and 2. And it says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? And what, what kind can be my resting place? And then it says, for all these things my hand has made, and so all these things have come into being by and for me, says the Lord. But this is the man to whom I will look and have regard. He who is humble, that word again, and of a broken or wounded spirit, and who trembles at my word and reveres my command. Who is that a powerful statement? So are you surprised when pastor comes out and God moves supernaturally in the sanctuary? Shouldn't be. Because the Bible says, he says, I'm looking for someone who will humble himself, okay, and be of a broken and wounded spirit and tremble at my word, tremble at my word, and reverently revere and reveres my commands. So God looks for a man who trembles when he speaks. I mean, that, that tells me that you never get um, so acquainted with God in the sense that you don't tremble when he speaks. You never take him for granted. You always tremble when he speaks, when you have that kind of love in your heart for him. Because in that kind of person, God can move supernaturally. His power, he can release his power. God doesn't have to strive with that person because God knows that when I tell this person to do this, they'll do it. They don't have to strive. They don't have to fight with somebody to make it happen. Okay? And so when that person learns the ways of God, he delights God. God gets delighted. And he asks for, he, 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 in, in return, because he delights himself in God, in return, God becomes a place where he can rest and manifest his glory. Last scripture, 2 Chronicles 16. Now, I know I gave you a lot today, but I tell you what, uh, God is making some great strides in here. 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. I'm sorry, I'm in verse, I said to tell you 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. Okay. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose hearts are blameless toward him. You mean he is looking on a regular basis? He just wants to find someone who has said, yes, God, your will is what's my will. Your desires are my desires. What you want is what I want. And I refuse to let myself get in the way and stop what you're trying to do. And I know that's a tall order, but I don't believe it's an order that we can't meet because God would not put anything in his word that we couldn't do. We just have to rely on the person he placed in us, which is the person of the Holy Spirit in us. And he's not in us to just to sit back and watch you do whatever you want. That is not what he is there for. He is there to actually, number one, make you like Christ. That's number one. You talk about, you know, go to read the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the spirit, make you like Christ. And then once you become like you, once you're like Christ, then the empowering of the Holy Ghost gives you that power that you need to do what God's called you to do and to serve effectively. And so I'm challenging you as a church, let's get serious about this end time move of the spirit. Let's get serious about being available. Because I, for one, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like when things go on I'm not included, okay, when it comes to the spirit. I just don't like it. It just doesn't, it doesn't make me happy. And maybe that's, that's the will hasn't got that's the will that hadn't died yet in me, okay? But I'm working on it. But I, I want to be where God is. I want to be in what He's doing. And I don't know how many more years I have left on this planet. I'm, I, I, I've decided it was about another 20. I got another 20 at least. But during that time, I just want to do the will of God. Just the will of God. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.